Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Zama Mia, here we go again. It's the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham, and this week we're talking about Lucretia Martel's slightly maddening, always entertaining, twisting river of bureaucracy, Zama. Taking the journey up river this week, we've got regular contributor Kelly Powell. Hello. And we've got the man who decides what you're going to see and when you're going to see it, programming manager Ben Linden. Hey there. And from the film magazine that will put even the cinematography of Zama to shame with its sheer beauty, it's Hannah Woodhead, social producer for Little White Lies. Hi there. We were doing well, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Ready to get stuck into Zama. This has uh, been talked about on film Twitter relentlessly for about nine months now. So it's nice that people are finally going to actually be able to see this. Uh, it's uh, about a man named Don Diego de Zama who kind of gets trapped in the bureaucracy of the colonial life uh, that he's trapped in in Paraguay after leaving Argentina. Uh, Hannah, you could give us a background on this. Is it just a uh, colonialoscopy, really? It's uh, So it is adapted from a novel written by uh, Antonio Di Benedetto. I hope, that, I hope I'm saying that right. Who uh, wrote, wrote this book in 1956. It was only translated into English this year, last year, by the New York Review of Books. And it's about, yeah, Don Diego de Zama, who is a, um, an officer of the Spanish crown who is stationed in Paraguay and wants to get out of Paraguay and due to all the bureaucracy is not allowed to leave and it's his sort of slow descent into madness. Kind of apocalypse now, but from the point of view of Kurtz mm. is what I, how I would describe it. I think that this is a familiar story, the, the upriver madness. Um, like We've seen it in Apocalypse Now and we're all familiar with Heart of Darkness. Um, and, but I think from a tonal perspective, we're more in territory of uh, Aguirre, the Wrath of God, mm. in that there's that underlying hint of black comedy throughout. And she's even talked about this as being a comedy. <laughs> so just to give a bit of background on the film... Uh, this film's reception it premiered at venice film festival last year it was outside of competition and it instantly has received rave reviews hannah your own publication has given this a full five stars declaring it even one of the masterpieces of the 21st century uh, is that something you would stand by yeah 100 percent. we were in sort of unanimous agreement on the editorial team which does not happen that often uh that this is an absolute masterpiece uh we ran the review and <clears throat> an interview with uh, Lucretia Martel in this issue 
I, I think she's one of the best interview subjects I've read in a very long time. She did our interview, she did an interview film comment, she did a Q&A at the BFI the other night, and she's just very funny, very sharp, very intelligent, and has wonderful things to say about her work and what inspires her. And um, Zama in particular, I think, it, she she's just so passionate about it and mm. she's so eloquent. And reading that kind of in tandem with seeing the film is, I, I think, really... A great thing to do. It's one of those films you can't just watch and then forget about. You kind of want to absorb everything around it as mm. well. One of the reasons that we've got Ben in today is that this is a really interesting property because in Variety, uh, Guy Lodge wrote that commercially Zama couldn't be a much tougher sell and this film is coming out on the same day as a Star Wars film. And so Ben, I've got to ask you, when you're watching this film, what are you thinking about, other than this is brilliant, you've got to think of uh, it from another angle of how are we going to get people to watch this as well? Yeah, very true. So I think, I mean, Star Wars is probably going to be in upwards of 600 screens across the country or 600 cinemas across the country, countless more screens, versus I think at last count probably about 14 cinemas in the country that are going to be showing Zama. So, you know, a bit of a margin there. Um, I think... You know, we we are sort of in a luxury within Curzon Cinemas in that this is the sort of film that that some of our customers are happy to be challenged by. You know, it, it's it's certainly as as sort of narratively spare, and you know, there's there's almost zero exposition in that, which can make for quite a frustrating watch for for some viewers. But for those who are are willing to be challenged by that, who um, you know want to work to try and find the meaning behind it you know it's, it's kind of like peeling away the skins of an onion to try and find out what's going on underneath there um, in fact I think I saw a recent um, a recent quad poster which actually kind of looks like that with different sort of oh, um, circles. concentric circles yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah it's 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 um, it's worth working for I think in the end it's a, it's a very rewarding film as a result yeah, uh, it's interesting that just in that short time, I think you said the word challenge two or three times, <laughs> which I think um, is very much a, a key word when you're watching this film, particularly in the first maybe half hour, 40 minutes even. Uh, she, Lucretia Martel does, doesn't give you any information. She doesn't tell you even what country you're in, where you are, who anyone is, what role they have. You are just figuring it out along the way. And in that respect, it is quite hard to get into at the very beginning but it's one of those films that you eventually get drawn into Mm -hmm. I always like it when that happens so you kind of have to figure it out but kind of places you in his headspace immediately you know Um, uh, and the first half an hour is kind of you you, as you say a challenge to get to kind of get into because you're figuring all the stuff out and it's kind of like oh god colonialism and period peace and you're not quite sure where it's going and then it slowly starts to Mm. Uh, take a different form. Um, so, so really, there's only there's only one objective in the film, and that's for Zama to leave, yeah. and that that's all you he feel wants that to in do. The first um, half, like, yeah. And in a way, people people might hear that synopsis and think of it as um, being like saying this is very Kafkaesque and this is the trial, and he just wants to get out. But I think that puts quite a rigid description on it because I don't think it is it is like that. It's mm. there's a lot more fluidity to this and. I think there's a lot more curiosity in how the how the comedy is executed, where the jokes come from, like it almost verges on like Blackadder or something at some point. So mm. it's actually got a she's got a real eye for silliness even, but using that to heighten 
the sense of comedy in the futility of Zama's situation. Yeah, I think I think much of the comedy comes like it's, it's aimed towards him essentially, isn't it? He's mm. like this sort of classic anti-hero type character, and this this is established very early on when you see him sort of perched magisterially looking out across. Um, I guess I guess it's um, it's a river because we're in land, um, wearing a tricorn hat and and this sort of rich burgundy jacket. He you know he looks very you know sort of imperious, um, but he's he's quickly sort of knocked off his pedestal as he's 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 um, caught spying on um, on a group of women who are bathing in the river, um, and this is another part point of ridicule throughout the film is his his sexual frustrations mm. he's, he's trying to be reunited with his his wife and kids um but at the same time he's, he's incredibly lonely and and he spends a lot of the film chasing after a uh, wife of a of a treasurer um yes yeah, Signora so luciana who treats him with with such contempt she's sort of <laughs> amused by him but she's very much in the thing that i found refreshing about her character at first it's kind of, she's positioned as sort of like this Floozy, who's just been stationed, she's just having a good time. But it comes very apparent she knows exactly what she's doing. And when they're having meetings, you can just tell she just mm. has him on a string. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I really like about the character of Zama is he is the point of ridicule in this film, mm. is him and colonialism. It becomes like it's not in any way a film that celebrates colonialism, which I think a lot of period pieces do even accidentally this is a straightforward critique of colonialism and Zama's character is just this sad old man who's been put out to pasture by the Spanish crown and he watches all these other uh, his colleagues get sent away and for doing something wrong yeah <laughs> they get yeah. rewarded yeah and I think he tries but yeah. no he can't, <laughs> he can't get sent it's away the, of the joke all the time <laughs> The first hour, hour and ten minutes is just staying within this one small outpost and just watching Zama try and get a letter to leave. Uh, and it's amazing that it it is stretched for that long, essentially one joke. Uh, but it's completely entertaining and enthralling throughout all of that. Um, and I just want to dip into the form of the film uh, for a while. I think the cinematography is really interesting for the way that it traps Zama. I think there's a lot of shooting through through frames of doors or windows or actually the way that people are blocked to condense space, making things closer and closer and really getting that entrapment. There's even a scene where I think it's in a stable and rather than just walk through a door to get into the stable, he has to kind of climb through a window uh, and it's just making almost this progress of movement for Zama is just such a struggle at all times, <laughs> mm. particularly as well because it looks so hot and he just looks dirty and sweaty and you're very aware of the fact he's probably got about five layers on and so yeah. does everyone else and just the act of doing anything in this situation just looks like a task. Yeah, so I think I think this is like again this is sort of relates to this this critique of uh, of colonialism and and there's a parable that you hear um, quite early on in the film that's told by a native about. Um, uh, this fish who spends its entire life um, fighting with the water, which which wants to throw it out out onto the shore, it rejects it essentially. And this is this is kind of an allegory for Spanish in this case being in in South America and you know their their sort of their formalities and and graces, the, the silly wigs and and pompous costumes that they wear, and you know the perfunctory kissing each other on the cheek when they greet each other. It's it's completely out of place. 
um, in in this climate, and uh, and this this is something you see. I mean, it's it's clearly a, a sort of driving force behind Zama wanting to get out of there as well. But uh, you, you see servants fanning them, mm. you know, they're they're sort of and carrying them around on their backs. Um, and going back to the um, to to your point about the cinematography as well, it's it's a it's a very sort of clear style of of, of Martels to to have these these sort of figures in the background um, who are who are sort of cut off. Their heads are cut off. In fact, she uses it in in a previous film. The headless woman to um, sort of denote this this concussed state that the protagonist is in in this film as well, but here you're you're seeing these sort of um, subjugated natives who who um, don't really have a role within the film. Mm. And uh, just thinking of that scene, as you say, in which there's uh, one of the slaves in the background who's just fanning uh, Luciana and Zama. And that scene goes on for probably between five and ten minutes. The whole way through, you've got the <laughs> sound of this, this fan going on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And the, I think the sound throughout the film is another key element in really building that atmosphere. Um, there's one uh, particular technique that's deployed three times, which is the tone uh, that's used in Dunkirk as well, this constantly dropping note, uh, which is kind of this audio illusion uh, of a, 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 a note that kind of overlays on itself. So it sounds like it's constantly dropping and just getting more and more intense, uh, but you could just keep playing it forever and it would just trick your ears into thinking it's mm. always getting lower. And so Hans Zimmer used this in the score for Dunkirk to just build up that tension. Mm. Uh, and it's used uh, a few times in Zama just as something clicks for Zama and a plan of his has not worked. <laughs> like for instance, I think it happens when he gets told that he's not leaving for however long and then this tone clicks in and then that just clues us in for another descent into a bit more madness. Does this happen in the llama scene, which everyone is talking oh about? God, because I, I remember the llama scene is, is probably my favourite part of the film. But, um, yeah, he's having this conversation with his superior officer who's telling him, you're stuck here, basically, mm. and this llama what waltzes in, <laughs> sort of looks around, and it, it's treated like this just happens. But, yeah, he, he kind of, Zama, like, tunes out. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what the mm. guy is saying yeah. to him. It's like, okay, well, here we go again. Yeah. 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 Record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably, probably wondering how I ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> and also the um, the music that um, 
Martel uses is really interesting in this film. She uses this uh, surf rock band from the fifties, fifties, sixties, which is totally um, uh, anachronistic to mm. the, the setting of the film. And I was reading an interview in Film Comment with her, and she said she chose this because she was very aware that this band were around the same time that Antonio Di Benedetto was writing the novel, and she liked the idea of using music that he probably would have been aware of. And I think it, it works so well. And it's so funny hearing this kind of, like, surf rock as Zama's just slowly losing his mind. Yeah, it's kind of like this Hawaiian third man yeah. theme at points. It's really lovely. And like, even uh, just writing the notes out for this show yesterday, uh, listening to that, mm. and it's really lovely and calming and just such a contrast to actually what's going through Zama's head. <laughs> Um, I like, I, I read also, I think it was a slant uh, interview uh, where she talks about the sound um, being, she likes the sound to force the audience to sort of see beyond the image, which I like. It like adds a complexity to it and it kind of makes you aware of, of his surroundings, even though he's not necessarily aware of it. You know, you often hear like the fa- the fanning of the the sound of the fan um, is one of them which is really loud and you're kind of always aware of it mm. um, and the buzzing of the flies as well like often it's just like the sound that sort of infiltrates out like as the audience yeah. well so often that kind of sound is there just for atmos to make it sound like a real place but she brings it yeah and she highlights it. it yeah exactly yeah um so Hannah, going back to uh, Benedetto's book, uh, along with uh, El Silenciero and Los Suicidas, uh, this is the third part in his trilogy of expectation. Uh, I wonder how we think of, I think that word is very key to the themes of this film. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> Zama's expectations, uh, the expectations that the the Crown have of him as a officer the expectations of the uh, of colonialism i guess there's a great metaphor in this film that i, I a very on the nose metaphor but i love it nonetheless where they're talking about spider wasps they keep talking about spider wasps they love the spider wasps <laughs> which uh i was talking about this the other day as well i i, I personally love spider wasps think they're really cool really metal as a creature and <laughs> they 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 um spider wasps will lay their eggs inside living spiders and then the eggs hatch and eat the spider from the inside out which is disgusting but very cool and it's a whole metaphor for uh colonialism in the film mm. but also zama the way this island kind of eats away at him until he's just this like sad husk of a man and you kind of think of it i the word expectation for me always brings to mind great expectations and this is like the opposite of that like just no expectations <laughs> at all by the end of the film he's become he sets off on this kind of like quest in order to redeem himself to find this mythical bandit and he's you know it, the whole way through they talk about this guy uh, Vincuna Porto and it's like oh Vincuna Porto there's all these rumours that he's dead and there's one there's a horrible scene where this guy's like talking about killing him and then right at the end there's like a another record scratch moment and Zawa's face is just like oh he just loses any sort of hope of leaving Mm -hmm. and yeah I I think that that's really I'm not aware of uh, Benedetto's work and Mm. I'm very interested to go and read Zama now and read these other books as well yeah well if if it was only last year that due to this adaptation that we got a translation of Zama uh, perhaps we'll be getting translations of Mm. the other ones as well um yeah, let's let's briefly talk about uh, Vicuna Porto because he's almost the the rosebud of this film. Yeah. In a way. 
took me a while to know what they were talking about. I was like, who is it? Who is? And it, it, it it's great. It's like they, they constantly talk about this Porto character. You you have no idea. Zama has no idea who he is. At the beginning, he gets. Um, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say he gets robbed. And mm. I was like, oh, so that Vacuna Porto has done it. And it's yeah, it's this um, Chekhov's gun. You're waiting for the gun to go off mm. all the mm. way through. And at one point, a there's a gambling match oh, going yeah. on and someone's trophy is that they've got Vicuna Porto's ears yeah. cut off yeah. and tied around a string. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's the governor, isn't it, who's who's sort of like proudly wearing it. In fact, I think at one point it gets sort of fashioned into a brooch and pinned on him by, <laughs> uh-huh. by one of his servants and he's he's sort of like dearly like fondling it and sniffing it like a, like a trophy. It's incredibly weird. Um, but this is the funny thing about this this character is that he, as, as you say, Henry has this sort of kind of like um, mythological quality. He's like a sort of like a, a Robin Hood or, or a Dick Turpin or, or something like that, who apparently has been killed thousands of times before. He's been executed, <laughs> and and then in the the final act, where we're sort of um, come, we come face to face with this person who at least claims to be Vicuña Porto, but may or may not in fact actually be him um but there's there's a there's a very interesting line going back to this this sort of quality of expectation that um that zama says to him right at the end and he says um i do for you what no man did for me i say no to your expectations Mm. um and it seems like this is this is finally the point at which he's he's sort of he's given up Mm. on on you know any kind of hope of ever getting home home again, mm. and um, and this is his problem: is that he's you know throughout the film he's not able to manage his, his expectations. Yeah. He's very sort of entitled to to what should rightfully be his, and yeah, and that is the driving force behind the film. Well, it's interesting as well because I don't know if it's a spoiler, and you can cut this if it is, but um, it's interesting that you say that because. It's almost like this idea of hope and dreams and like these expectations are obviously and the repetition, you know, this, the record scratch thing is happening <laughs> like throughout, mm. even with um, dialogue, you know, narratively speaking. Um, but at the end, almost when he sort of surrenders <laughs> because there's no other option, there is almost this feeling of hope, you know, um, where you kind of like, OK, well, maybe if he just kind of surrendered to his environment from the beginning, Mm. Um, that mm. he would <laughs> have led a happier life. I don't know. There's that beautiful scene. <clears throat> the the final scene of the film is ab- absolutely Gorgeous. stunning. Mm. And there's a, the final line in the film is like one of the best lines in the film because it's yes. it's it's almost got this like river sticks quality to it. The whole yes. scene and this child. I think it's a child that has the final line in a film. Mm. And there's the dialogue is so on point and I don't know how much of it comes from the book and how much of it is Martel and how much is in the translation that Mm. we're getting as well yeah Yeah. there's a great line um, from uh, Luciana to Zama when they're having one of the long conversations and she says uh, Europe is best remembered by those who were never there which is this kind of mythology within the film and the idea of how it was in the old days and that's still a thing now of people, even in England, thinking like, oh, it was so much better like 20, mm, yeah, 40 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, people really yeah. like wanting to go back to that, which yeah. I think it's widely agreed that was not a good time. Well, problematic there. Rose-tinted Well, it's interesting that you brought that up because I read, I think it was in the film comment um, uh, interview, um, that her, this idea of like Europe was best remembered by those who were never ne- never there is is her idea. It like represents... 
Argentina at large for her, like as a nation, and their sort of struggle with their national identity of sort of these upper and middle class Argentines, like feeling like they're they're Europeans stuck in Latin America, yeah. yearning to go back to their country that yeah. kind of is, was never, you know. And they're seeking all these goods. There's um, a whole thing with a, a smuggler early on. I think he was a smuggler. I'm not entirely sure. But he's bringing these imports in. Mm. Doesn't, spoiler, it doesn't end well for him, <laughs> that whole business. <laughs> but, um, that, yeah, they're wanting to be more European. They call the Oriental. Mm. Yeah, which is interesting. And, and trying to dominate the landscape and change the landscape around them to mm. fit. And and the thing that's refreshing about this film is the landscape like buys back. And yeah, like, no. Yeah, mm. particularly in the in the final half hour is where we kind of escape the colony and really head into. I don't know what this kind of landscape is called to me. It looks like more of an Everglades type situation. Uh, and that's where the camera really breaks out and the colours really change. Yeah, uh, and that's when we really begin to see the hopelessness of Zama's situation. And and the way Martel uses hopelessness is, I, I compared it earlier to Apocalypse Now or Hot Darkness, and in there, hopelessness is such a kind of bleak thing. But in this film, it doesn't seem bleak, as hopeless as it is. There is this kind of like feeling that Zama, as as horrible as he is, it's not. it doesn't feel like a bleak film to me. I came out mm. of it and I was like, oh... It all feels like a fever dream almost. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and he, the form implies more freedom as he has less hope as well. Like, that we break mm. out further, the more broken down he gets. Yeah, the yeah. more he surrenders mm. himself to the environment, the more, yeah, the, the, the less is in the village. Mm. And he takes this mission, which takes him away from the uh, the outpost. And it, it does seem like this, you know, there's potentially more than one reading perhaps perhaps not in the book but maybe just this is this is martel's adaptation of it of this this final this final third of the film with whether this is just a sort of imagined reverie of his because mm. you do see him sort of slowly losing his sanity throughout the film and and prior to this he's he's sort of in this this feverish state and he's he's imagining things of this there's this woman who's walking around in this this crumbling lodgings that he's been placed in who who isn't actually there, mm-hmm. um, and you, you feel that perhaps this, you know, this mission that he he um, volunteers for is just it, a way that he he might be sort of perceived as less ridiculous um, to capture this 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 sort of um, elusive bandit um, mm-hmm. might might finally be his, his ticket out of there. But at the same time, it just seems like un- completely unlikely, and it's it's so surreal. Everything that happens there, um, and incredibly violent. It's just yeah, it's just it's completely at odds with the rest of the film cinematically. Mm. Mm. Well, I think we need a ticket out of here, uh, <laughs> and so we're probably going to have to wrap up our Zama chat there. I'm afraid we could probably go on for a lot longer on this. Yeah. I'm sure we we do really love this film, but it's uh, it's not the the only film out this week. In fact, there is one big film uh, about. It's kind of this uh, individual adventure for a famous Star Wars character. You could say it was a Hannah Solo. Ha, 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 ha. I'm glad you got a joke in, because I've been trying every opportunity. Um, my, my, my blog as a teenager was Han, comma, Solo. So, um, yeah, I saw this one the other night. If you're, if you're a fan of Star Wars, go, go and see it. 
you know yeah. that's all that's all I, i'm gonna say yeah okay well i'm a fan of star wars so i'll, I'll see it you've sold it <laughs> great i'll read that extended review uh, in the next little white lies uh you can actually check out some other great great stuff on curzon home cinema including jean fam which came out last week uh, and the new release uh, which comes out uh, today is the post the steven spielberg film with uh, meryl streep and tom hanks and a whole host of wonderful people and so you can check that out this weekend as well if you don't fancy going to the cinema but if you've got any thoughts on Zama, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com and we'll be reading them out on next week's show, uh, which is going to be on uh, Lamont Double. Anyone want to give me a pronunciation on that? Double. Double. That's much better. Lamont Double. And that's the new Francois Ozon picture. If you haven't already, do subscribe on iTunes and Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review or a comment if you like as well. Uh, but until next time, it'll be goodbye from Kelly. Goodbye. Goodbye from Ben. Goodbye. And goodbye from Hannah. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.